0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: A uh, warm well, welcome to Squawk with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. Russian leader Vladimir Putin makes his first public remark since a short-lived rebellion shook his regime assailing those responsible for the armed revolt.
0: An armed rebellion would have been suppressed in any case. The organizers of the rebellion, despite the loss of adequacy, could not fail to understand this.
1: Uh, the Chinese Premier Li Tiang warns against global fragmentation as he talks up foreign direct investment in opening remarks at the WEF Summer Davos in Tianjin.
2: From what we see this year, China's economy shows a clear momentum of rebound and improvement.
3: ECB officials gather in Sintra for the central bank's annual summit as leaders spar over when and end their rate hiking cycle. The Bank of Lithuania's chairman tells CBC more work is still needed.
2: It's very clear for me that we need at least one more hike <laughs> and this is going to happen I think in July given that as you rightly mentioned the stickiness on inflation and the upside risk i think i would not be surprised to discuss at the governing council a hike also in september
3: the Dow sees its longest losing streak since september 2022 with investors taking profits on some high-flying tech names as the volatility index nears its lowest level since february 2020.
1: Right, let's just follow on this with this Russian story, still the biggest in town uh, despite the fact that, of course, in the end it was forlorn the, with the aspirations, we believe, of Prigozhin. So the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, has vowed to bring the organisers of an armed rebellion over the weekend to justice. Now, isn't that fascinating, given the fact, of course, that uh, we understood that there was some form of pardon uh, via Belarus for Prigozhin and the rest of the Wagner leaders? Well, in a short televised speech, Putin called the uprising a, quote, criminal activity and a colossal threat organised by Russia's enemies. Uh, Putin added that all necessary measures were taken to protect the country. Putin also said that mercenaries from the Wagner Group, which was behind the rebellion, could return to Russia or remain in neighbouring Belarus, which helped to broker the deal to calm the situation over the weekend.
0: I thank those soldiers and commanders of the Wagner Group who made the only right decision. They did not go to fratricidal bloodshed. They stopped at the last line. Today you have the opportunity to continue serving Russia by entering into a contract with the Ministry of Defence or other law enforcement agencies, or to return to your family and friends. Whoever wants to can go to Belarus. The promise I made will be fulfilled."
3: Meanwhile, the leader of the Wagner Group and former Putin ally, Evgeny Prigozhin, has issued his first statement since the rebellion, saying the move was a form of protest. <laughs>
1: The goal of our march was to prevent the destruction of Wagner Group and bring those who made a huge number of mistakes during the special military operation to justice. There were two major factors for our decision to turn around. The first factor is that we didn't want to shed Russian blood. The second factor is that we marched to express our protest, not to oust the government in our country.
3: A lot of questions yesterday as to just who Prigozhin's supporters were. Well, U.S. President Joe Biden said he is closely monitoring the situation, reiterating that the U.S. and its allies had nothing to do with the rebellion.
0: We gave Putin no excuse to blame this on the West or to blame this on NATO. We made clear that we were not involved. We're going to keep assessing the fallout of this weekend's events and the implications for Russia and Ukraine. But it's still too early to reach a definitive conclusion about where this is going. Um, we'll come back to
1: the story later on, but uh, let's focus on China for the next five to ten minutes. Uh, the Chinese Premier Li Young uh, says uh, China is on track, is on track to hit its annual growth target of around 5%, adding that growth in the second quarter will be higher than the first. Now, Li spoke in Tianjin at the opening of the World Economic Forum meeting, which has returned to China for the first time since 2019. Well, Sam, this is absolutely fascinating because a lot of doomsters are saying actually there are problems mounting up in the Chinese economy, that the reopening has been a damp squib. But uh, the Premier there uh, basically saying that's not the case and things will stabilise and actually even grow more.
4: Yeah, it's interesting in terms of the mixed messaging. Good morning to you, Steve. I think certainly sentiment has been buoyed by that confidence that we got from the Premier today in terms of what he said about propelling uh, growth to that around 5% GDP growth target. They seem to be pretty confident that they can do that. Um, They did talk about some of these uh, growth upgrades that we've seen, but at the same time, as you pointed out, we've also seen some growth downgrades. s and of course, becoming uh, the latest. Uh, he did talk about uh, Q2 growth looking stronger than Q1 growth despite the fact that there's been a lot of investor concerns about the strength of the recovery over the last three months, particularly when you look at manufacturing, not keeping up really with the speed of the post-reopening rebound we've seen on the services sector side, uh, particularly when you look at uh, softening exports, uh, etc. Even consumption, um, You know a few red flags there in terms of uh, just coming off the back of the Dragon Boat Festival, where uh, revenues were down about 5% from pre-COVID levels. So there are still uh, some worries when it comes to the Chinese consumer, which China is very much counting on right now to mitigate some of that uh, softer export growth. Uh, Largely, the reaction has been mostly uh, positive. Uh, Many analysts, or at least uh, people that I've spoken to uh, here uh, since the speech went on, do believe that it is a step in the right direction, perhaps didn't go far enough uh, in terms of the specifics, but definitely setting the right tone uh, for now. We've seen a positive reaction in the markets uh, today. Uh, take a listen to what Premier Li Qiang uh, uh, had to say.
2: We are introducing more practical and effective measures to further attack the potential of domestic demand, invigorate the market, make urban, rural and regional development more coordinated, accelerate the green transition, and advance high standard opening up. These measures are making a difference. From what we see this year, China's economy shows a clear momentum of rebound and improvement. GDP grew by 4.5% in the first quarter year on year and is expected to, grow, to expand faster in the second quarter than in the first. We are on track to hit the growth target of around 5% we set for the whole year.
4: So, as you heard, they're talking about uh, more policy measures in order to stimulate domestic demand. But really, as I mentioned, a lack of specifics in terms of how they intend to get there. There certainly is this view in the market right now that uh, while some of the support measures that we've seen so far and perhaps that they may introduce will go far enough to stabilize growth in the second half, it perhaps won't be enough uh, to certainly address some of the longer term challenges that we are seeing in China, which we continue to talk about with regards to demographics. And of course, the problem of youth unemployment uh, now at a record high. So that was certainly the messaging in terms of the domestic economy. I think uh, in terms of uh, the signals they were sending to foreign investors, there was a lot of what we were expecting around uh, collaboration, communication, um, face-to-face exchanges, which are important, which, of course, we took for granted, as uh, Li Chiang said, uh, during the pandemic. But uh, also um, the typical sort of language around uh, warnings against uh, unilateralism, uh, protectionism, talking about to certain countries, specific countries in the West, although not naming any names specifically, but certainly in terms of hyping up this idea of de-risking and also certainly around some of the rhetoric when it comes to globalization. He did say that certainly that is on track despite some of the challenges right now. So all in all, it does seem like it was heading in the right direction. Of course, As we were talking to uh, Borga Brenda about yesterday, the president, uh, they are very much looking for signals in terms of uh, how they uh, aim to shore up uh, the economy right now. So uh, what will be interesting is the the devil, of course, being in the detail, the, the actions that happen off the back of this. Of course, the market's very much now looking for Specific, more targeted measures really to help parts of the economy that need it the most, uh, areas like uh, the property sector and also manufacturing uh, and jobs. So, so no doubt, uh, plenty more conversations to be had this week. Uh, it's going to be very interesting uh, to see what comes out of those, uh, particularly around the role of technology, um, artificial intelligence, also debt. Of course, we do know that this is a, a problem in China, particularly when you look at a local government uh, level, and uh, of course, sustainability. And financial stability uh, here uh, as well. But uh, all in all, I think it was a positive message um, to the foreign business uh, community. Uh, I would say some people that I've been speaking to in terms of the presence here do say uh, that perhaps uh, not as high level executive presence on the ground here uh, and particularly uh, a lack of uh, U.S. Presence, presence you could say, uh, particularly given the pilgrimage of the uh, CEOs we've seen uh, to China of late. Guys, nice. back to you in London. Sam, thank you very much.
3: Probably no surprise uh, the lack of representation there from the Americans. Uh, let's uh, bring in Mike Curley to the conversation. Portfolio Manager of Asia Pacific Equities, at uh, Janice Henderson. Mike, thank you for joining us. The Chinese are saying they can still hit this 5% target. Analysts are downgrading their expectations. Ratings agencies just joining the party too, now reassessing the growth story for for China. How do you view the prospects for the mainland market for the rest of this year?
0: Well, I think the consensus is still somewhere between 45 and 6%, I think, for most economic forecasts. And you're right, the the, the direction is generally being downgrades rather than upgrades. Um, I think the second half will clearly be key. Um, it's quite interesting to say that the second quarter GDP numbers will be higher than the first, which is kind of what we expected. But I, 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 my feeling is, is that you know, that momentum continues into the second half with a little bit of tweaking around the edges. I don't think they need a big bang response. Um, just a bit more confidence, a bit more consumer demand. Um, and I think that target is will be reached fairly easily.
3: Mike, can I bring up the property market? Because this has been a problem for China now for many months. What we've seen now on the currency market, there's been a wide-scale depreciation of the yuan, which makes it even more challenging for these property companies to repay offshore debt. To what extent do you think the Chinese are are going to be micromanaging the currency because of the property sector problem?
0: I don't think they are micromanaging the currency. I think they're they're, 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 they're matching the, the currency to a basket. Um, and if you look at how tight that range is, actually the, against that basket, the currency strengthened at late. It's just against the US dollar, which people tend to look at that the currency's weakened. And you're absolutely right. That's the currency that matters to the Chinese property sector because that's where their debts affiliated. But um, I think um, it's pretty obvious. The government realizes they've, they've achieved the target of properties for living in, not for speculation. And property prices have come down. Demand is pretty benign. Um, But my personal view is that some of the savings that have been accumulated and not been spent, which is what people have focused on, is actually maybe actually being held back for property at some point, upgrading, maybe even investment at some point in the future. Um, What we just need is some positive signs and positive momentum and a bit more confidence.
1: So, Mike, see, I hear what you're saying about 5% achievable, they're, they've got um, personal wealth. It's being held back for investment at some stage well. They need a bit of consumer confidence as well. But the other side of the coin is, is, is as you've put out, people are, are very concerned about youth unemployment, about local government finances. You and Karen have mentioned uh, the property story as well. Exports and imports, lower figures at the moment. There does seem to be a lot of things queuing up, which in any economy would be challenging, let alone one that is coming off the biggest structural change of the last 20, 30 years that the economy has ever seen in its history.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I agree. All all those points are very valid. Um, I think what the Chinese are desperately trying to avoid here is the response that probably what the markets want, is this big bang response of investment, infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera, which caused so many problems post the GFC. And what we want to see is a gentle, or what they want to see is a gentle, recovery over a period of time, something that has legs, something which plays into this structural change. I and mean, the whole youth unemployment is clearly a worry. Um, and I think with hindsight, you know, the clamp down on some of the private enterprises, which has probably attracted some of the uh, of the younger workers, it's probably the areas which aren't really growing at this point in time. And that also plays into consumption. Um, because although that cohort doesn't spend as much clearly as the older people, they were actually uh, counted quite a lot of the growth. So while you have youth unemployment, which is quite high, you are actually stunting your retail sales growth, your consumer growth because of that unemployment. So to change to change that, well, more support for the private sector, etc. cetera, because um, most of these people don't want to w- work for state and in- own enterprises, probably understandably. Um, and the, the edges, you know, just an improvement in those numbers, improved sentiment consumption over time. That, that's
1: that's my view. Fair enough, Mike, I want to know what China is going to be exporting to all of us. And I don't mean about goods and services. I'm talking about inflation or deflation. For, for a large part of your and my career in the city, China has been exporting deflation to the world. What's it going to be exporting next to the world in this new phase of its economy?
0: That's a good question. I mean, if you look at the PPI numbers in China, I mean, they have been negative for some time. So that would suggest that, you know, that they're they're going to continue based on that uh, assumption, they can continue to export deflation. Um, However, I think the model for China on exports is now not about low cost manufacturing. It's all about value add manufacturing. So what China will be exporting to us will be higher end products than we've seen in the past. Um, and that could end up being things like cars, rather than necessarily the parts for cars. Um, that's the model that China wants to pursue. Um, the question is, is will they be allowed to pursue it in the way they want to? Um, clearly poly- geopolitics comes into that. Um, but certainly a higher value added product going forward.
3: Mike, can I ask you about the stimulus? Because uh, many market participants are still talking about this very targeted program by the Chinese. But I know that some of the market watchers are not ruling out some very large package at some point down the track, even if they have questions as to whether that would be the right type of approach this time around. How do you view what the Chinese think is the the right equation this time as they face challenges?
0: Well, I I think if we have a big bang approach to... um to changes within you know if, if something if we get a big announcement announcing a huge infrastructure package and this that, and the other then i think we can basically assume that the chinese economy is in more trouble than we think because that's not the road they want to go down um, the problems post the gfc with over over capacity slowed the economy um for a number of years uh and put china in a very uncompetitive position so that that's the last route they want to take and if we do see something Along those lines, my assumption would be that the economy has real structural issues. Um, I would expect uh, stimulus around the edges, around property, around consumption, possibly tax incentives, um, possible um, ways to maybe mobilize some of these excess savings into into more productive areas, whether that's wealth management, consumption, other investment ideas. So those kind of measures incrementally won't have a big impact short term, but medium to long term will be certainly a positive.
1: Mike, I'm painfully aware we haven't asked you where to put the money. Have you got 30 seconds on your best idea at the moment?
0: Well, I think I think you really want to be in consumer discretionary. Um, I mean, these are the areas that everyone's got massive doubts about. um, And we've seen consumption. In the high-end areas, you know, which is why LVMH and some of these European luxury goods manufacturers have done so well. But I think if you believe in the China story, you've got to believe in the broadening uh, of consumption in general. We know there's a lot of excess cash knocking about, a lot of excess deposits people are wanting to spend, waiting to spend. Um, And I think consumer discretionary is the way forward.
1: Super do, but Mike, we'll catch up on another occasion. We always value your ideas. Thanks very much indeed for joining, Karen and myself. Mike Curley, a portfolio manager of Asia Pacific Equities at Janice Henderson. Uh, Let us move up. We're going to stay with China. There's a really positive story, actually, for China, which we'll come to in a few moments' time. But the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, meanwhile, is reportedly planning to visit China in early July for what would be her first economic talks with her new counterpart after a planned visit in April was delayed uh, to, quote, the appropriate time. This, according to Bloomberg, which also says the Biden administration is planning fresh curbs on U.S. investments in China aiming to finalize an executive order for Signature later next month. This is what I want to talk about after the break. China is stepping up its auto exports. We've talked about a lot of the gloomy stuff, but listen to this. They are overtaking one of the key players in the world to become the world's leading car seller. Karen and I will spend some time on this after the break. Just wanted to flag you know we're all data driven now. we're all data driven that's what the fed tells us as well well personally always was but there's a lot going on this week so i just want to just say it's a bumper day uh, for the u.s economic data with economists expecting an uptick for consumer confidence in june however new home sales are expected to notch a decline despite may's three decade high building figure you've got case shiller numbers durable goods orders i mentioned the conference board there, new home sales richmond manufacturing dallas fed services so it is a bumper week of data Uh, And a bumper day ahead as well. Interesting backdrop on the markets, Karen.
3: Hard to tell whether the moves yesterday would have been as extreme if we were just dealing with the wash-up again from the monetary policy hawks last week or or whether this would have still been a market that responded to that news flow without the geopolitics on top. And I think a lot of Americans concerned about what played out on the ground in Russia over the weekend, the mutiny that we witnessed and the wash-up for the Wagner Group. And markets, as a result, just taking stock. It did come out of some of the the hotter areas of the market, namely tech names, those mega-cap stocks under pressure, and you can see the outsized uh, performance to the downside for the Nasdaq, down 1.1% versus just a slight decline for the Dow. But what we're talking about, string of red ink here, five negative sessions in a row for the S&P and for the Nasdaq, six straight declines for the Dow. So it is that uh, course, the direction of trade that we're witnessing for a lot of investors. But no doubt uh, many also concerned about where the rate story goes to from here. Given the warnings last week that we skipped, we hopped uh, from the central bank, but we're not done when it comes to those interest Great hikes. The VIX, the fear gauge, a little bit of action. We spiked 5%, uh, so the biggest movement in two weeks. And you can see we're at the slightly elevated perch of 14.25. Uh, Tongue in cheek there, given that we've been around the 13%, uh, 13 level. So it does suggest that there's been a lot of comfort, really, around this fear gauge. But it just uh, moved a little bit yesterday as a result of those effects that we saw from Russia and the macroeconomic story. I want to take you to Treasuries as we take stock of where we're going to on rates. We have slipped off some of the higher levels, but we are 4.69 morning session, uh, the uh, longer end of the curve uh, on the 10-year. Well, of course, we're still inverted, and that is uh, still sending large recessionary signals to some quarters of the market. As you can see, we're at 3.73 on that 10-year. To uh, the commodities complex, to WTI and uh, to gold, it was a trade really for both yesterday. Concerns around the supply of oil from Russia, what that could mean for the world economy. We did see a pickup in both of these trades. Brent, uh, 74.69, so still marching higher, and we're just shy of the 70 mark on WTI. In terms of gold, as we talk about safe haven trades in times of geopolitics, there's also been a bit in the market too for bullion 1928, really holding the line at this level. To the Asian markets, a lot of action to recap on. Japanese stocks have been travelling lower, about half of a percent in the red, so taking those cues from Wall Street. But uh, a lot around the Chinese markets, as we've had this language from the uh, authorities there, while this summer Davos continues that they can actually achieve their annual growth rate. Markets watching that And you can see the Shanghai Composite now managing to stage a bounce 1% in the green, taking with it Hong Kong stocks up 1.6%. And Australia, the market there, also leaning into this rally out of China today. But uh, movement on the uh, yuan rate. We've seen the uh, midpoint, the fixing here at the weakest level since the 10th of November 2022. So effectively, the PBOC pushing back slightly against some of this depreciation. You've had uh, some of the the, uh, banks stepping in too to uh, try and support the actions by the central bank and so we've seen that firmness just crop up and has knocked dollar off its perch 7.21 where we're traveling this morning dollar slipping by about a third of a percent in contrast uh, we've got uh elsewhere dollar also on the back foot and this uh, rate we've got one forty three forty seven on dollar yen versus sterling euro also managing to climb this morning roughly two tenths of a percent steve
1: So before that move, the the renminbi at a seven-month low versus the dollar. And look, there is no doubt about it. There is a negative um, narrative about China at the moment uh, and about why the recovery hasn't happened as people would have hoped it would. But there is certainly areas where you've got to take note where the Chinese are making enormous strides. For instance... China has overtaken Japan to become the world's leading auto exporter. Think about that. You you think about your GMs, your Volkswagens, your uh, Toyotas, the three big manufacturers. Now the Chinese have become the world's leading auto exporter, shipping more than one million vehicles in the first quarter. They're not only Chinese brands, I'm sure. I'm sure they're international brands as well. But this data, uh, new research from Alex Partners, uh, shows China has benefited from other nations' decisions to cut trade ties with Russia. For instance, China sold more than 110,000 vehicles to Russia in the first quarter. That's around the same amount it sold in the whole of 2022. Um, so just just a, a couple of bullets from this Alex copy. And I, I wish I brought my glasses over because it's tiny as well. Um, but um, Alex partner is basically just talking about the uh, transaction declines in other parts of the world compared with China. And they're just growing. We've already talked about with an analyst earlier that the, the pole stars of this world, the BYDs of this world as well. Well, as ice melts fast, according to this copy, sales of non-battery electric vehicles, mainly ice, uh, will rise 6% in the year this year in the U.S. due to pent-up demand, but will then plateau and decline 4% a year through to 2027, creating pressure uh, on margins and cash flows to fund electric vehicles. They're using ICE as a cash cow to pay for their EV development, but if the EV development has to slow down a little bit because ICE engine, the banker from that, uh, is also slow and then there's a problem there as well there's so many stats in here as well uh, talking about the semiconductor situation and the alleviation of some of those supply chain problems
3: so the long and short of it russia saved china's bacon this time round when it comes to the car sales because under the hood there actually are concerns around liquidity position of some of these car makers and you may recall that the neo was one of the big names out of china in recent times it was dubbed the tesla killer because it had uh, very similar technology that was very catchy on the dashboard, very sleek lines. But even this particular car maker is struggling. Uh, we saw uh, what the, the Saudi Arabia, uh, rather the Abu Dhabi government, uh, will invest seven hundred and forty million. Ed that decision coming late last week, uh, effectively stepping into poor cash into this car maker to try and support it. You've also seen the company uh, effectively slash prices. That's been a real feature. A lot of the car makers have had to lower costs to try and get that entry point down. They've cut back on investment as well, which, to your point, what does it mean about the pace of expansion from here? That investment has already been taken lower by some of the EV makers, but they've also had to uh, commit to stepping up cash. And you think about uh, that commitment at a time when we've got liquidity problems, the credit story has changed globally, that car makers at this point that should be cutting back and trying to preserve cash, are now saying we're going to have to spend more because of the dynamics that you're seeing in the industry. So I think Neo, in some ways, despite this very strong story you're seeing more broadly that uh, cars were sold to Russia, Neo, one of the standout stars in the space, is warning effectively that it's challenging times for some of these startups. Yeah, and
1: guess what? Um, with Tesla cutting the prices, their margins are cut, albeit they they're still industry setting standards compared with many many other manufacturers as well but but there's a couple of points here chinese auto companies according to alex partners are the new tesla to chase chinese brands continue to rise the industry has been rightly focused on tesla's innovations for years but now It is time to develop more attention to the lessons of the success in China's homegrown NEV markets, the electric vehicle market. For instance, China setting the pace. Listen to this. Analysis uh, forecasts that Chinese brands will, for the first time in decades, outsell foreign brands in China in 2023, which is extraordinary because of the amount of effort that international manufacturers have put into growing the Chinese market but listen to this by 2030 will be 65% of the market on the way to a market of more than 50 million vehicles a year by 2050 as well so where the focus has been on oh look let's look at Tesla and see how we can compete with Tesla the copy here is unambiguously saying actually you need to focus on what China is doing now as well, because they are setting up a store of dominance in this, not only domestically, but potentially internationally.
3: This is what our reporter, Phil LeBeau was telling us the other week when he came over from the States. He was on a, a mission to, to get to the bottom of those China sales, and he was saying the same thing. Look, you've got these very flashy models, high specifications, the price point is lower, and the Chinese love it. So they are buying their domestic brands, which is in contrast to what we've had over the last decades or so, where it was those European automakers with the big flashy badges that the Chinese wanted to buy. Just keep in mind, on the sales print, we did have growth in China for cars that was triple-digit growth uh, for these new vehicles, for the EVs and for the hybrid cars. Triple-digit percentage gains. We're now at double-digit. Still strong, 41% up in the first five months. Mm -hmm. But that's not triple-digit. So I think we need to look at the pace of change that you're still seeing in those growth numbers. I think it's
1: fascinating. Um, And that's why we've we've done this segment on the autos. There's something else that's very sad there. I'm now going to have to start bringing my glasses on set to read the smaller copy